welcome to this week's episode of the Compass Equip Podcast. I am Pastor Hayden, and I am joined with the Pastor Evan. Hello there. And as we said in our sermon today at Compass Bible Church, we exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ by reaching people for Christ, teaching people to be like Christ, and training people to serve Christ. And everything we do, everything, including this podcast, is to fulfill that mission of reaching, teaching, and training. We had a standalone sermon this week to go along with baptisms. Next week, Lord willing, we're going to jump back into Matthew 3 and continue our exposition of the book of Matthew. But this week, we wanted to do a standalone sermon to pair with our baptism service on Matthew 28, 18 through 20, the Great Commission. Pastor Evan, you want to read that for us? It'll be my pleasure. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Our old Pastor Hayden, we we said it again, but what is the main point of the sermon and the question after that is, why is it important that we remember as a church that this is not only why we exist as a church, but this is why we exist as Christians? Yeah, the the main... The point of the sermon was every Christian exists to reach people for Christ, to teach people to be like Christ, and train people to serve Christ. And as we said in, in the sermon this morning, this is the Great Commission. This is the thing that Christ gave us as a privilege, a responsibility, and a stewardship as He uh, ascended into heaven to the right hand of the Father for us to go about doing until He returns. And so you know that's why this isn't a, the great option or... Uh, you know, the great, uh, I don't know, option? That's, I think I should just stop there. <laughs> it's not the great option. It's the great commission. Like, it's what we, it's our mission, co-mission. We're co-laborers. We're here on a co-mission that we're all coming together and doing this mission together to reach people, teach people, and train people for Christ. All right. Well, Pastor Hayden, you mentioned in your sermon about you gave us a good grammar lesson about the the command is to make disciples, and there's four ways we do it. We go, we baptize, and we teach. But with the go, that's three. That's what I meant. To but say. you also meant the main imperative, which would be the the fourth, which is the first, which allows us to do the other three. Yes. I know what your mind was doing. It's tired. <laughs> All right, but you mentioned that this participle. With go, which was what kind of parsable? Yeah, I'd like to do it a little different with this uh, podcast. But the, remember, the main imperative is make disciples. Now, to make disciples, there are three uh, what we would say participle verbs that attach to the imperative. So if we want to make disciples, we need to go. And as Pastor Evan was uh, trying to get me to say a second ago, go is, a, is in the aorist tense. It's a passive verb. If it's a passive verb, that means it's not necessarily something that I'm... Uh, doing, not doing, but it's, it's not something that I am scheduling to happen at this moment. An aorist verb is passive in the sense that it is generally happening. Just like I said, the world is rotating as we speak. It's an, it's an aorist verb. It is, it is turning right now. It's rotating. It is just generally happening. The earth is if it were a, a physical being, does not have to decide that it's going to get up today and rotate. That's just what it does. In the same way, us making disciples is an aorist passive verb, meaning that it's something that is just always happening generally. So it's not that I'm buying a ticket to go to Asia uh, to make disciples. Uh, that may be a part of my going, but it's not what consists of actually going 
it's it's all the things that I'm doing. It's my whole life should be as I'm going, I'm making disciples. All right. Well, the first point you brought up was reach people for Christ. And what can we do to remind us as a church to remember that this is highly important, that this is why we actually came out to plant this church was to reach mm-hmm. people and also teach and to train. Yeah, make disciples. Making disciples. And so what is a challenge you want to give to us, you know, this podcast and for us as a church to reach people for Christ? We, we have to understand, and that's why, you know, we always do talk about we need to reach people for Christ. Well, because the discipleship process cannot actually happen if we're not reaching people for Christ. We can't teach people to be like Christ and train people to serve Christ if people aren't being reached. And so it is a necessary starting point for discipleship to reach people for Christ. So we do put a, a lot of weight on that at our church to reach people, evangelism, share the gospel, invite people to church to hear the gospel so that they can respond to the gospel so that we can continue that process of making disciples. And so, you know, that's why reaching people is so important. And, you know, reaching, we have to understand that reaching is a spirit, there's a spiritual aspect, and there is a reality, an eternal aspect to that that we don't tangibly have in front of us right now. But, you know, we, we also need to realize that although that's the utmost important part, we have eternity at stake, we understand, and I've noticed, even as I talked to my family this week who don't know Christ, and I've shared the gospel with multiple family members over the last couple of weeks, uh, brothers and, and family members who I look at their life, and because they're not saved, no one has reached them for Christ, they're not saved. It's not only that they have this separation for, with God, their life is an absolute mess right now because they have made all these sinful decisions and they compound and compound and they create so much sin and so much social consequence of their sin. They live in this state of, of brokenness. And so it's like, if we can't, we should and we have to, if we can't, but if we can't think about eternity enough, it, you can you can at least start by thinking of, but it's important to reach people for Christ now because they're broken and they don't have Christ and they don't have the Spirit indwelling them to lead them in righteousness. And so you, you should think about it with, on both sides of the coin. There is a reality in the here and now why we need to reach people for Christ because people live in a constant state of brokenness, but that brokenness is a symptom of the, of the eternal problem that will be solved when they turn from their sins and place their trust in Christ. So, you know, sometimes I think churches like ours get uh, wrongly, I, I would say, condemned for, well, you're just talking about eternity and eternity. What about people's issues right now? Well, that is people's issues right now is their consequences for their sin. That's why people live in uh, when addictions and, and problems in their lives and brokenness in their relationships. And when Pastor Hayden and I get people to come in for counseling, just or even when we engage with people, just know that the problems that we face are just the fruit yes. of the real issue. Like, actually, went the to fruit chi- of the root. Fruit of the root. Well, I went to a chiropractor, and he, he was telling me, like, "Hey, I have this pain." He's like, "Well, this it's, the pain might be here, but the problem's down here mm. because this is what actually is driving this to be in pain." And right. actually, pain is the last five percent. Your body's in is dysfunctioning for the first 95 percent and then the last five percent your body then is lets the you nerves know, yeah saying hey by the way it hurts it hurts yeah this it's is already there's, the issue's been in there right. already and yep. so the problem isn't necessarily the drugs or the broken marriage it's maybe most likely a lack of having god in them well not most likely definitely definitely Right, definitely the lack of their salvation. And so it's both sides of that coin. But we know uh, that, it can, and I truly, like even me, like if I were a, a drug addict or, or whatever it is that I'm going to die of starvation even, like I would I, I would rather not be fed for the rest of my life and die of starvation than stand before God 
and be culpable for all of my sins before God without the covering of Jesus Christ. And I, that it, because that's the truth, it's the consequence is way more grave. And that's why Christ says, don't fear the, the man who can kill the body and then do nothing else. Fear the God who can, after you're dead, has the authority to throw your soul into hell. Christ even puts a much greater uh, weight on the spiritual, eternal state. It doesn't mean that we negate the the physical or temporary. It just means we have to weight it the way that Christ weights it, and he weights the spiritual, eternal consequences at a much higher weight than the other temporary issues. And a lot of the times that we see these old you know, mission organizations, a lot of them, like even the Red Cross, started off for them to be able to present the gospel are you telling people. me the Red Cross is a Christian? They used to be. No, they, 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 they may are, still be. They may but still but be. you're at a good point. Because people are like, oh, the Red Cross, you know that's a Christian organization. Most hospitals are Christian organizations. Yeah, started from churches. And so, and, yeah. but the point I'm trying to bring up is a lot of the time they did all these things for the sake of the gospel. And it reminded me of the passage that you read to us or told us to write down, 1 Corinthians 9, 22 to 23, that... Paul's doing all these things that you know he might be able to save some. He does it all for the sake of the gospel that he might share with them right. and its blessings. He becomes so, all things to all people. And so, Pastor Hayden, my question for you, for us as a church, is how can we make sure that we tailor everything that we do, the way that we work, mm-hmm. the way that we live at home, the way that we you know, do things around our neighborhood, the way that we shop at HEB, that's like, hey, I want to do this for the sake of the gospel. Well, then you got to take making disciples seriously because that's what making disciples is. I am making disciples, and along with that, there are a lot of good things I'm going to do in my life because of that, and my life is going to produce a lot of good fruits because I am am a disciple and I'm making disciples, but I can never make the good... It's like making your good fruits your God. That's idolatry. I can't make... I can't make my sanctification my God because then I'm not progressing in sanctification. Now I'm in idolatry and I'm not being sanctified. And I think I took that somewhere that's like, I don't think we think about that, but like we can't make it about good things. We have to make it about making disciples. And with that, with that, yeah, of course, I, I should also teach my children and teach the people around me to take care of the things that God has given us, the world. I should take care of the world. God's, God's stewardship. Although I have to also understand that God is going to destroy the world with fire. And he's going to renew it. And so I know also in the doing good things, I can't actually sit here and renew the world because God said he's going to destroy the world and he's going to renew it. So I don't have to go off on this whole tangent in my life for the rest of my life about renewing the world because making disciples is uh, is my commitment to, to God because he's going to renew the world. And making disciples teaches people that God's going to come renew the world. He's going to renew us. And in this, in, the, in this whole state of sanctification, our minds are being renewed every day. And, and you know what I'm saying? You see what I'm saying? Oh, I'm getting, you're loud and clear. Okay. And that leads right into point number two, teach people to be like Christ. And essentially, it's saying, hey, I have reasons of why I'm doing what I'm doing. You know, when you go camping, this is why I make sure I clean up. Not because... I'm trying to live longer in this world. It's because God there's a stewardship that God gave me. Mm-hmm. Or, hey, I'm going to make sure my family is cohesive and I love my wife. Why? Not so that I can have a more harmonious home. No, so I can emulate Christ in it. And, and all that is an outpouring 
of the fruit of your faith. And how do we know that is because it's found in scripture. And so we want people to be like Christ. Why is it so, it's an imperative and vital and critical and everything, all those important words, right? That whatever we decide on is found and rooted in scripture. Why Mm -hmm. should the Bible be the foundation rather than us giving our opinions? Well, it's the well of knowledge and truth, objectively, factually. And so what we have to do is go to the place where God says his truth is, and he says his word is truth. And so for us, we know that it, when we have to teach people, which is the which is the participle here. If we're going to make disciples, we got to teach them to observe everything that Christ has commanded us. And so what we got to do is go to the Word, and like I said during services, Jesus appeals to all of Scripture as His Word, and He appeals to all of Scripture as Him fulfilling the uh, the, the prophets, the writings, uh, the law, and the Testament, all of that. So He's appealing to all the Old Testament, and His New Testament is literally His life and His commands, both in the Gospels and then given to the apostles for the rest of the New Testament. All of it is Christ's command to us, and we should then use it as the basis of all our teaching that we would follow all of scripture. Uh, and that's, and, and then that as we're making disciples, we're teaching them then how to live. Then the fruits of that life is a lot of good things. But the problem, like again, and remember there are a lot of the problems is that we're trying to make the good things, the main thing when Christ said the good things are the byproduct of making disciples. And again, that's why we have to make the main thing, the main thing. And the main thing is making disciples. And part of making disciples is we're going to teach people to be like Christ and with that's going to come a whole lot of good things. All right. Well, Pastor Hayden, your final point was to train people to uh, serve Christ. And why is it a, help us to remind remind us, I should say, you said it in the sermon, remind us why is it so important to remember, hey, we need to teach this. And God is going to use that to teach the next generation, and the next generation, and the next generation after that. Well, that is the perpetuation of the Great Commission. Jesus is going to be there. Uh, until the end of the age, or Jesus is going to be there low until the end of the age when he comes back, and he physically comes back, but he promises he's going to be here with us, gives us his spirit to be a part of us. He gives us the privilege and the honor of taking the mantle of his commission and then going and doing it. Like I said earlier in the last podcast, it's like it's not that God's not going to do this if you say no. It's not like you're not the sole bearer of the Great Commission. If you don't do it, people aren't going to be reaching. God's going to reach people. You just have the privilege and the honor to be a part of that. God's going to fulfill his plan. Christ is going to build his church, and the gates of hell will not prevail. So for us, it's saying, hey, I want to be a part of this. I, As a child of God, I have the privilege and the honor and the responsibility of being a part of this, and so it is my job. And so we, we need to think about it on both sides of that coin as well. It's like, it is my privilege, and it is my duty, uh, but not to think about myself so pr- proudly and arrogant to suggest that if I didn't, no one else would. It's like, no. God's, God's putting a spirit in people, and it's going to drive people because we have the omnipotent God, all-powerful, living inside us, who will sanctify us, and in that sanctification, he's going to empower us to make disciples. But why not us is really the question we should ask. Why not me? Why not you? Why not us store up treasure in heaven by making disciples here on earth? All right, well— but I, and Go to Second Timothy 2, 1 through 4, like I told you in the sermon. It's the best— it's the best phraseology that we can that I think is easy to understand. What does it mean to train people to serve Christ? Second Timothy two, and it says it uh, in verses one through four. O Timothy, what you have heard from me in the presence of many, entrust also to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You have three generations of discipleship here. You have Paul discipling Timothy, 
you have, no, you have four generations, I'm sorry. You have Paul with Timothy, Timothy who's entrusting them to faithful men, and then those faithful men who are entrusting others also. Four generations of uh, disciple-making right there. That's, that's the picture of discipleship. We're going to be long gone and not too long, and there is only going to be those who we've entrusted the teachings of the gospel and the discipleship process to, and then they're going to continue that line, just like people who led us to Christ are long gone. We're also going to be long gone, and what's left is the fact that we all continually make disciples. All right, well, Compass, we have life groups coming this week, and I would exhort you to make sure that you go through these application questions and fill them out before you show up to life groups so you're prepared to dive into the discussion. Uh, Anything from the application questions, uh, Pastor Hayden, that you would want to make us aware of? Yes, even our life group said it in the life group leader meeting after church today. It's imperative that we be applicators and not just simply commentators. We're not trying to comment on the scriptures. We're trying to apply the scriptures. And so, you know, all of these questions are meant to draw you to what do I do with this today? What do I do with this this week? And so my prayer and my hope is that you will answer these in light of how you're going to apply it this week. All right. Well, Compass, there's a there's several resources that we'd love for you to have, and they can all be found in the Compass Bookstore. So be sure on Sundays to drop by the Compass Bookstore to check out some study Bibles, commentaries, and or helpful books there so they can help you walk in this Christian walk and help you make disciples of Jesus Christ. All right. Well, Pastor Hayden, it's time. It is time. For the Daily Bible Reading Spotlight. Booyah. Let's go. Here we go. Well, Compass, we are in the New Testament. We are in the Gospel of Matthew. And uh, today we are actually finishing Matthew 7 uh, as a church and reading it today. And this week we're going to be reading Matthew 8 to Matthew 11. And I'd love to just walk you through some several points that I jotted down in my handy-dandy Matthew journal so first and foremost, let's take your attention to the end of Matthew 7. And it said, when Jesus finished saying these things, as a reminder, it was the Sermon on the Mount. The crowds were astonished. Why? Because he was teaching as one who had authority. And not with their scribes, because normally the scribes would say, oh, so-and-so says this, or so-and-so says that, Rabbi says this, or hey, the scripture says this. And Jesus says, I say this. And he has authority. And again, remember the thesis of Matthew of chapter 1. It's God with us. This is the God who's going to save. And so only God can give the law. And that's what happened back back in Mount Sinai. God gave the law to Israel. And so that's what Jesus did. But... as Just as uh, God said, I give you the law, but I want to show you I am God. Remember this. Actually, the kids learn this in their um, get to know your Bible Mm. and their take home worksheet is that, you know, the Exodus, the reason why God did the plagues and to deliver them so that Israel may know that he is God and that they can trust him no matter what through the wilderness, the promised land or the exile. Hey, God got us out of Egypt. So Jesus is about to prove something. And so in chapter eight, this is what he's doing. He's proving why he has authority. He spoke he had authority, and now he's going to show it. First off, right off the bat, he cleanses a leper. Why is that important? Because this person is unclean, and Jesus touches him. Now, Jesus should be ceremonially unclean, but now the unclean is made clean by what is actually clean. Mm, Did you follow that? Profound. And so only what is holy can make something so holy, so God holy, 
can make something that is unclean clean. And here is God holy Jesus touching a leper and now they're made clean. Yeah, because what were lepers called to do uh, according to the law? Stay away, stay away, stay yeah, away. I'm, I'm unclean. unclean. I'm cl- no one would come near them, and they weren't allowed to have people come near them. They're supposed to let them know from far off. And pay attention to who is... So he, the leper says, Jesus, come to me. Mm. Notice the people who are responding positively to Christ and not responding rightly to yeah. Christ, which we'll talk about that in a moment. Mm. The next up is a centurion who is a Gentile dun, dun, dun. who... Is that really supposed to associate with Israel? But he says, hey, Jesus, I need you to save my servant. And Jesus was willing to go over there. He goes, no, no, no. I, you have the power. You can just say it now. I understand your authority. Faith. And so he has faith because he recognizes the authority, which leads right into he heals many. He heals Peter's but, uh, mother-in-law. But, but then go to, truly, he says to about the centurion, truly, I, I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. faith. And, and that's so, a big deal because, because he's a Gentile. He's a Gentile, but he's the one who truly has faith in the Messiah, and the unclean have faith in the Messiah, but it's this other group of people who are... The recognizing re- who, it. There's these people who aren't supposed to recognize these things that are actually recognizing that Jesus is the Messiah. And this is a common theme that you need to pay attention to in the Gospel of Matthew, is that the, you know, a lot of the Jews don't see their own Messiah. Especially the religious leaders. The religious, yeah, particularly the religious leaders. But those who are cast off are the mm-hmm. ones that see and truly see the Savior, which means in order for us to really see uh, our Savior, is kind of something you alluded to in the baptisms and the sermon, in order for us to see our Savior, we need to realize how lost we are. Mm. And that was the biggest issue for the religious leaders. They think and thought they had God and knew God, and God's trying to tell them, I don't know you. Hmm. you know, Department for me, Matthew 7. But continuing on, so Jesus culminates in, in making uh, healing many people, and then he leads into the cost. You know, Many people are excited. A scribe says, I'm going to follow you. Uh, another person says, hey, I want to follow you wherever you go. Um, but Jesus says, here's the cost. You might be excited now, but the cost to follow me is going to cost you everything. Now, the f- gift of salvation is free, but it also costs us our former lives to say, I need to give that up to follow Christ. But thankfully, he's not just some person we follow. He is the God-man, which he proves it again. It leads right into Jesus calming the storm. The point is that Jesus is the ruler over creation. It leads right into Jesus healing two men with demons. Now, Mark and Luke, it says one man, which is from from the perspective, from the story perspective, they just mentioned one of two. Matthew mentions both, saying Jesus is now ruler over the spiritual realm. So he's a ruler Mm. over creation, creation listens, and even the demons, the spiritual realm, listen. But that's not even the strongest aspect about Jesus that leads right into Matthew 9. That the authority in heaven on earth that he mentions in Matthew 28 is right here. Heaven, demons, earth, oceans, but something greater. He's greater. He's over something even greater, and that is sin. When he heals the paralytic, it's not the disease that's the focus. It's the forgiveness of sin. And so it's leading up. You think Jesus is powerful as he as he calms the water, you know, is in control of a creation? Well, watch this. He's gonna control the demons, but yet watch this. He's gonna forgive sin. And then let's let's say that again. He, Jesus proves that he has power over sickness, over creation, creation, over the spiritual forces of evil and sin. And sin. He proves that he can do 
deal with sin because he also deals with all the other areas that we cannot conquer. And of course, the culmination, the pinnacle of things we can't conquer is sin. And he came to deal with sin. And this is culminating. It's, it's building up. It's a crescendo moment. And then right in verse 9, this is beautiful. You're going to see the responses Talking about the responses in our baptisms, we saw people who rightly responded, but there are two responses. When Matthew is called, think about this, he's probably seen this. He probably saw what happened to the person being forgiven. And what does he do? Jesus says, follow me. And Matthew says, yep, I'm following you. I understand who you are. Yet, when religious leaders walked by the way, they scolded Jesus for you know, hanging out with tax collectors and sinners, and they had the wrong response. They should have joined Jesus at dinner, but yet they scolded him because they didn't understand what Jesus came to do, not to save them from Rome, but to save them from sin. And then those who recognized their sin followed Christ. Those who did not recognize their sin persecuted Christ. Boom. And it's because they have the wrong expectation. This leads right into verse 14 of Matthew 9, clarifying who Jesus is. Some disciples of John came to Jesus saying, hey, why do the Pharisees fast and we fast, but why do you fast? So Jesus is about to now clarify from these verses on who he is. So right after he has this quick conversation with the disciples of John the Baptist, he goes and restores life to a young girl, but on the way heals an unclean woman. And this is important because he's not just showing that, okay, he has control over these things. He's fulfilling prophecy found in Isaiah that the, uh, that the, you know, the, unclean will be made clean, the blind will be able to see, the lame shall be able to walk. He's fulfilling all of this, which after he heals the woman, and he also heals the young girl, raises her from the dead, the unclean and the dead are now healed. He heals the blind, which again is found in the book of Isaiah. And here's the cool thing is that these two blind men cry out to Jesus, have mercy on us, son, uh, have mercy on us, son of David. Now, why is that ironic? It's the blind, the physically blind people actually see who Jesus is, and the people who see are actually blind. And this is what happens um, later in the Matthew, is saying, you don't see because you're blind. And the irony about these blind men crying out, saying, son of David, they knew what that meant. Mm-hmm. This is the king. This is the Messiah. This is the one to come. And yet the blind actually see. So it's those who come to the end of themselves are actually the ones able to actually see. And so he heals the unclean. He raises the dead. He hears the blind. And also he saves those who are oppressed by demons. And this is the first occasion where the Pharisees accuse him of being able to cast out demons by the prince of demons. But that's later in chapter 12 where Jesus emphasizes that that implication of those words. Mm-hmm. But right after that, after he does all these things, he went around the cities and he saw that the crowds and he had compassion for them. He was like, I need to reach these people and teach them who who I am and train them to be my disciple. And so he said to the disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And so now he's preparing preparing to recommission humanity. Mm -hmm. Humanity was already commissioned in the very beginning. Genesis 128, go and multiply, be fruitful and multiply and spread. God wanted his image to spread throughout the world, but humanity failed at that. In Matthew 28, what you preached on is you can say the recommissioning of humanity saying, now be fruitful and multiply, not in just childbearing, but in disciple bearing, 
to make more images of who God is, redeemed images through Christ. And so chapter 10 of Matthew is God preparing the disciples who will eventually disciple others, who will disciple others, who discipled us, and now we disciple others who will disciple others. And I love even right before that in verses 37 and 38, it says, Jesus says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. He says to pray, but then the answer to the prayer is that those who are praying would also be the laborers. And the implications for that are us. Like We should always be praying for laborers and praying for more uh, evangelistic encounters and praying for more disciple-making. But the answer to that prayer is often found in the saints who are praying that prayer to be the people who are bearing the responsibility of making disciples. And the first answer to those prayers were the 12 disciples. Yep. We can say 11. One of them was destined for wrath, but we'll talk about that later in Matthew. (laughs) But here's the mission, and this is what's going to happen. Jesus in the first section is going to say where to go. He says, go nowhere among the Gentiles and go nowhere of the Samaritans, but keep to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Why? Is Jesus a racist? No. Is that there's a time Mm -hmm. and place for things, and he has a mission that's going to be in order. And the time is coming. The Gentiles and Samaritans will be reached, and we actually see that. Matthew 28. Matthew 28 and Acts 1.8. Yep. Go out from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends, ends of, of the, the earth. earth. But, but right she, now. He's like, I need to reach Israel. He's trying. He's he's preaching the gospel there in Israel to the Jews. And so then he says, here's what to expect of this mission. You will be persecuted. It gives a, them the message of proclaim the kingdom of heaven at his hand. And then it says, yes, then you, you deal with the consequences. He says, proclaim it. So be faithful to what you're called to do. And here's the consequences. People will persecute you. People love their sin. And it's going to hurt, but we are called to be faithful so that when they're judged, they're going to be judged against something. The call was there, but you, you yet you refused to answer because you loved your sin or you accepted and followed Christ. But with the expectations, like, well, that's a little doom and gloom there, Jesus. He says, well, have no fear that essentially remember God is with you. Don't mm-hmm. fear a man who can kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can both destroy the body and soul in hell. Mm. And what is that supposed to remind you of? Emmanuel, mm. God with us. Jesus is saying, God is with you. Matthew 1, 23, and again, Matthew 28, 20, I will be with you. And so even though we're going to have you know painful consequences to the mission of faithfully proclaiming who Jesus is, there's going to be consequences. But remember, God is with us. And here's the reality. Jesus, here's a controversial, Jesus did not bring peace, but to bring a sword. What is that sword? The gospel. And think about the the implications of that. The disciples are going around and preaching this gospel that's contrary to what the Jews think oftentimes. And so when you go into a home, you have part of the home who turns from their sins, place their trust in Christ, and the other part of the home doesn't. So what do you think is brought into that home? Peace? Or chaos. Well, think about you, Pastor Hayden. Oh, yeah. You've evangelized your brothers twice. Has that brought a lot of peace? Not so much, but it brings peace to those who respond. And uh, as you know, my brother was even telling me I had family members. My my half brother Matthew, he come to visit me, and he's like, you know, my, my biological family who I'd never really grew up with, I didn't see much. You know, they saw my moving away and following God and planting a church as me abandoning my family. But what is what does Christ see it as? Whoever leaves home or land or mother and father or children for my name's sake will inherit that much in this life and then more in the life to come. And so we understand that when we do make disciples and we follow Christ, it doesn't bring peace in so many ways. As a matter of fact, it says 
uh, that I have come to set man against his father, daughter against her mother, daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A person's enemies will be those of his own household. And, you know, the reality is, are we trying to create that conflict for no reason? Absolutely not. Are we trying to mitigate or keep that from happening as much as we can? Yes, but not if that means not responding to the gospel. We have people in our very own church who, in their response to the gospel, turning from their sins, placing their trust in Christ, they have now at odds with their family. Well, that is exactly what the gospel says will happen, and that's exactly what Christ is saying will happen. But he talks about that, and then he talks about rewards. Yes, and talks about the benefits of the mission and how sweet it is when the righteous respond rightly, meaning to become righteous in Christ, but they, they, they earn, or not earn, but they obtain the mm-hmm. righteous person's reward because of Christ, and how sweet it is that even though maybe a family is in division, that one by one, that uh, the rest of the family becomes saved. And I actually remember hearing testimonies that where it started mm-hmm. with one person and eventually all of them became born again believers. Right. I actually can think of a family who came out of the Mormon church like that. It started with one and mm-hmm. then a domino to again get them all again. out yep. of the LDS church. And then we also trust that God is going to give eternal rewards. And so our faithfulness here, although in the midst of a lot of the chaos, it seems difficult. We understand that it says in, in verse 42, I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. That's the wonderful part of our faith as Christians is God promises to reward those who are faithful. Now, so here's King Jesus. He's giving out his mission, and it's not really what people expect. Now, they get back, and John the Baptist heard it in prison and is confused. And he's like, are you the Messiah that's going to save us, or should we look for another? And so Jesus is now going to clarify for not only John the Baptist, but for everyone there this is who I am. This is my mission. And this is what it means for us. We need to remember what the Bible says. And we need to match our expectations to what the Bible has to say. And, and I love that part in verse 4 and through 6. And you said it kind of earlier, but here it actually is quoted, that Isaiah passage where it says, I have come to give sight to the blind and the, uh, the lame walk. Leopards are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. The poor have good news preached to them. Blessed is the one who hears us and not offended. Because even the beginning of Matthew, it's the it's it's John the Baptist also being quoted from Isaiah, saying he's the one in the in the in the desert crying, uh, prepare the way for the Lord. And yet here it is again. He's talking to John now, and he's like, "Well, John, I'm the fulfillment of that thing that you were saying. Prepare the way. I'm that person." And he quotes again Isaiah, saying, "I'm the one who fulfilled this." And I have homework for you, Compass. I need you to jot down and from Matthew eight to this point. The reference is, when did the blind receive sight? And the, we just read, who was the person that the lame walked? Who was the leper that was cleansed? Who was the person that was deaf and they can hear? Who was the dead person that was raised up? And who are the poor people that got the good news preached to them? And so Jesus already fulfilled it and we just read it. And who was blessed by not being offended by him? Jesus literally, all of that above was preceded by the fulfillment here of saying, I am here to do all those things that I did. And it has been prophesied before that I would do these things. And here I am doing them. And John needed some encouragement. But the thing is, he didn't respond wrongly. But here's an audience later in in verse 20 of chapter 11, and we'll wrap up here, is here are the people getting to witness all of this and yet did not respond rightly. They Mm. were too prideful. For the mighty works that were done in the Gentile regions, they, they would have repented instead of Chorazin did not. If the worst people imaginable in the Bible and Sodom and Gomorrah saw the mighty works, they would have repented. But yet, Capernaum did not. This is the areas of their ministry. And so they refused These to. These are very Jewish areas. 
yes. all those pagan areas, they would never repent, or, or they would repent when they hear this message. But you, these people who literally have lived their whole life awaiting for this message, wouldn't repent. And that's a challenge for us. Are we rightly responding? Maybe you are listening and you have not repented. You are hearing the gospel. And so judgment for you will be stronger than it would be for Sodom and Gomorrah. And so those are sobering thoughts that people love their sin and yet refuse to hear the good news and respond rightly to them. And then Jesus ends saying that he's thankful for the Father, that he's hidden the things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children, not like physical children, but spiritual children, people who are just yearning and dependent on God because it was God's gracious will. And the only people that, the, that get to know the Father are the Son and anyone whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. So who are these people that are going to be able to see for the Father, who are going to be able to have access into heaven, who are going to have their sins forgiven? Everyone who, is, who has labor and, or, who labor and heavy laden, God will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lonely in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Partner with my work. And be able to find rest because mm. my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Right. Essentially, what's happening, those who come to an end of themselves, yep. the blind people that we see, the people, the centurion, the father that desperate for his All daughter, those people are the ones that Jesus chose to reveal himself to. And it's all those who came to an to end him. of themselves and yeah. say, God, I need yep. you. There those are those who find rest. And next week, we'll pick up in Matthew chapter 12. Doom, doom, doom. That was your daily Bible reading spotlight this week. Compass, we're so grateful for you guys. Let's finish it up with a few announcements. Exploring Compass is next week. If you haven't registered, go ahead and do that now for the sessions in January 15th and January the 22nd. We have a new book for the Pastor's Pick. Actually, we sold out. We'll have to get some more. We'll have some more by the next weekend. The End of Anxiety by Joss Weedman, a great book for you guys, especially anyone who's dealing with anxiety or, or needs to learn about how to deal with anxiety through a biblical worldview. We also have our men's and women's breakfasts coming up, our men's breakfast January 14th at 9 a.m., and then our women's fellowship January 28th at 9 a.m. as well. So invite all the gals, all the guys, be a part of their respective ministries. And then last two things, we have a prayer night January 29th from 5 to 6 p.m. We'd love to see you there. Let's pray uh, to God that God would raise up more labors for the harvest as we go make disciples. And then finally, we have our serve team training. We're excited about this. We're gonna Everybody who's on a serve team here at Compass Bible Church, we're going to invite, we're going to have lunch, we're going to fellowship, and we're going to do a training on how we can better make disciples in 2023. That's February the 5th from 1 to 3 p.m. All right, Compass Bible Church, let's go reach people for Christ, teach people to be like Christ, and train people to serve Christ. We'll see you next week.